Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, 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 and welcome back into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and today... You are listening on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Now, I've been a little under the weather this week out of the runny nose. Uh, partly my fault because I sat outside too long when it was pretty cold and uh, we don't need to get into it. But definitely my fault that I have this runny nose. And so I might sound a little stuffy. But I woke up this morning uh, on this Monday morning feeling a little different as well. I don't know. Something just was different in the world. And I could tell that things were just off from what they had been previously. And then I remembered why. It's because for the first time since 2004, somebody outside of the big four, that is Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, and Murray, is at top of the world when it comes to ATP rankings. World number one as of Monday, February 28th, is the Russian Daniil Medvedev for the first time. You heard that right. Dino Medvedev reaches a career-high ranking of number one. He dethrones Novak Djokovic, who had been there for so long. And for the first time, for the first time in 18 years, there's somebody at world number one that is not one of the big four. Think about that in this sport. Four people sat on the throne of this sport for 18 years. And for the first time today, Daniil Medvedev dethroned them and is a brand new world number one. What an incredible feature for Daniil Medvedev. What an incredible accomplishment for Daniil Medvedev. His journey to world number one was rocky. He has people hate him. He has people love him. But I think people like watching him because he plays so different. Now, I think it's hilarious that the person at number one has like the weirdest strokes in the game. It doesn't make sense how he's good. He's super tall, lengthy, but he gets to everything. He's scrappy, and he, I swear he doesn't lay his wrist back when he hits the ball. I digress, because we don't need to talk about that right now. But Daniil Medvedev is a world number one. Now, I told you, it's the first time since 2004 the big four aren't number one, and that was Andy Roddick in 2004. Just to give you a perspective of this, on the WTA tour, on the women's tour, since 2004, there's been 16 different world number ones from 2004 until now. So that that's a little bit more like it, a little bit more parody in the women's game, and that makes it more fun to watch at times. But that just puts in perspective how powerful and how dominant these four have been in the sport of tennis. And Daniil Medvedev has officially dethroned them. Now, how did we get to this point? How did we get to the point where Daniil Medvedev gets into this conversation and essentially takes over number one? Well... It's because Novak Djokovic loses in Dubai. His first matches back ever since not playing in Australia. His first matches back of the year 2022. And he actually loses in the quarterfinals to a guy by the name of who's a qualifier, Jiri Vesely. Now, Vesely is ranked number twenty or 74 in the world. Excuse me. He's 28 years old. You might not have heard of him before. He's a lefty. And he is from the Czech Republic. And you probably haven't heard of him before. I remember seeing him at the U.S. Open. He's very tall. He's very large. And he just played out of his mind 
at Dubai, which was great for him because it puts him on the map. It really gets him a good start to 2022, and he's been pro for 13 years now, so he's probably hoping to get over the hump, and this is a good way to do it. He actually makes it into the final in Dubai. Since we're talking about Dubai, we might as well go there. He beats, he beats Djokovic first. No, let's go back one more. He beats Chilich, Batista Gut, Djokovic, Shapo, and then loses to Andre Rublev. No small feat there. That is an incredible tournament by Vesely. But he loses to Rublev in the final 6-3, 6-4. And Rublev wins another ATP Tour title. I believe this is number 10 for Rublev. Um, but Rublev is just playing too good this year and too good at the time. So it's it doesn't surprise me that he gets over the hump in Dubai and actually ends up winning that tournament. Let's go back to the rankings for a second because we kind of ha- I had to tell you how Daniil Medvedev got to number one. It's because of that tournament, and I might as well finish it. So let's go back to the rankings. This week, there's new, new career high rankings on the ATP Top 100. Uh, Medvedev is number one. That's the highest he's ever been. It's the highest you can go, really. Uh, Opelka, he's number 17 in the world. That's the highest he's been. Number 19 in the world, Alcaraz. And Tommy Paul, the American, makes it to number 38 in the world. So uh, those those are really the ones that have highlighted in the top 100 that have kind of made a record week for them and, and made it pretty high in the rankings. So uh, obviously Medvedev highlights this list, but Tommy Paul has been playing really good tennis lately. Uh, Opelka over the last year or so has been playing really good tennis, making it to a lot of you know finals in tournaments and making a deep run in tournaments. And Carlos Alcaraz has been electric to watch for the last 10 months. So it's it's been awesome to see him grow and those guys really deserve to be, you know, jumping up in the rankings. Three of them cracked the top or are in the top 20. Uh, Alcaraz cracks top 20, which he did last week, I believe. But Opelka sits there at number 17. Let's go back to Dubai. And I think Novak Djokovic losing to a qualifier is a big deal. But the way that Vesely was playing, I don't think it's as big of a deal just because he was playing so solid all week. And he had to beat some really good players to get there. And sometimes when you're hot, you're just hot. But... I think for Novak Djokovic, it was probably just good to be back. Uh, he hadn't played in so long. He he missed his favorite tournament in Melbourne, and he just wanted to play tennis again, and he got that chance in Dubai. So uh, that tournament, I think Andre Rublev winning that tournament was probably pretty on par. He was the two seed there, and kind of once Djokovic went out, I think it was his tournament to lose. Uh, he he had to beat he had to beat some guys to get there though. He had to beat Daniel Evans in the first round, Mackenzie McDonald in the third round. Uh, Hubie Hercotch and then beat the Red Hot Vesely. So no small victory for uh, Andre Rublev, and that is an ATP 500. So that is one of the largest tournaments there is. So more points for Andre Rublev as he climbs into, uh, you know, as he keeps climbing the ladder in the ATP rankings. That is his second victory in a row. He won in France the week before that in Marseille, France, the Open 13 province. So uh, he won doubles and singles there. Uh, comes to Dubai, wins singles there. Let's head down to Mexico. Boy, was there some drama in Mexico. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about the drama necessarily right away. I want to talk about the positives, which is the incredible, incredible year that Rafael Nadal is off to in 2022. He is 15-0 right out the gate, uh, which is all on hard courts, which is phenomenal for Rafael Nadal. Uh, he got he had two titles in Australia, including the Australian Open. Then he goes down to Mexico, and he wins Acapulco. So uh, 
I, I really didn't know if he was going to be able to win this tournament. He had to beat Daniil Medvedev in the semifinals. Now, let's get this straight. Daniil Medvedev had already wrapped up the world number one by the time he got to the semifinals. So, I mean, it's probably hard to play after that. He said before he played Nishioka, Nishioka sorry, in the quarterfinals that he already knew he was world number one just before that match, and it was hard to play that match knowing you're world number one. I mean, that's tough news to get right before you go on a court. You're like, why did I even try now? You know, I'm already world number one. I've reached the top. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that Nadal beat Medvedev pretty handily in the semifinals, uh, especially with, you know, Medvedev was probably in his own head a little bit, losing to him in Australia in the final, and then, you know, already being world number one. So I don't really... I don't. I didn't really see that going any differently, anyway. But Nadal, after beating Medvedev, had to beat Cam Norrie. Now, what a tournament for Cam Norrie! Uh, Cam Norrie pretty much comes out of nowhere. He beats Isner, and then the the biggest thing that happened is uh, Ale- Alexander Zverev uh, was chopped out of the tournament in round two. Now, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to go and say why yet because I want to talk about Rafael Nadal. <laughs> Nadal, at 35 years old, uh, he becomes the oldest to win this tournament, I believe. And he is now the oldest and the youngest to ever win Acapulco. So uh, he's 35. He won Acapulco. That's the oldest player's ever been to win that tournament. And he also won it in 2005. At the age of 18. So, Rafael Nadal doing Rafael Nadal things. He beat Cam Nori in the final. I'm telling you, this Cam Nori, he is playing unbelievable tennis ever since Indian Wells last year. So, he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on in 2022. If I haven't already told you that, he is a guy that is making strides and a guy that's playing notable tennis. He's not just getting lucky and making it to all these tournament finals. He's playing legit tennis and doing legit things. So, uh, th- he's definitely someone to keep an eye on moving forward. Nadal, though, beats him 6-4, 6-4 in the final. Not much of a competition for Cam Nori. And uh, Nadal becomes the oldest man to ever win in Acapulco. All right, it's time to talk about the disappointment of the week, and that comes out of Acapulco as well, and it's Alexander Sferov. Alexander Sferov kind of had a breakdown, a, a mental breakdown. He really threw just a, a fit. Um, on the court in Acapulco, I believe during a doubles match, a ball was called in. I think he believed it was supposed to be called out. Uh, and he started yelling at the, at the umpire and he said things to the umpire. Uh, I'm not going to swear on here, but he, he dropped quite a few, uh, F bombs in it. He said, uh, look where the ball bounced eight, six in the tie break. It was close. He said he drops a couple F bombs. Uh, he's like, this is your line. You're an effing idiot. All that stuff. Right. Not only does he do that, but after the match, he goes up to the chair umpire's chair and pretty much breaks his racket on the chair. Now, you can find a bunch of videos on Twitter and on the internet of what actually happened if you want to actually see what happened. But he pretty much like swings at the chair that the chair umpire is sitting on and breaks his racket on it. He freaks out, freaks out, freaks out, freaks out, freaks out. Well, yeah, you can't do that. You can't do that at all. He gets withdrawn from the tournament. They kick him out of the tournament, say he can't do that anymore. He puts out an apology, all this stuff. Uh, But I think, I mean, this kind of behavior on the ATP Tour, no matter how upset you are, absolutely uncalled for. Like, I get it's a line call, it's close in the tiebreak, but you just can't act like this at all. And the fact that Alexander Sverev's under investigation right now for 
you know, sexual abuse or sexual assault when it comes to a, a woman that he used to date, especially by the ATP. And then he goes out and do this. You'd think he'd be under a microscope for what's going on and he'd be aware of that but he's just not and he he acts like this and did something like this now all I can really relate it to now I did see an outburst on the internet now people were upset about it but imagine if Novak Djokovic does this right like imagine if Nick Kyrgios does this and he's done things like this this would be an entire different conversation now Alexander Sferov is a top five player in the world but like like I feel like he got off the hook a little bit easier than maybe some other people have been. Now, he did get fined $40,000, and I believe the other part of this fine, I was trying to look it up, is $30,000 in prize money that he does not get. I believe that's the other uh, the other thing that he got fined, but it says the ATP Tour will further review this, and they could do more damage when it comes to his fine and his, ultimately, suspension if they find that guilty. Now, to put in perspective, Nick Kyrgios, who has been doing some things like this in the past, right? Uh, Nick Kyrgios was given a suspension of 16 weeks and a $113,000 uh, US dollar fine for verbally abusing an umpire in 2019. So $40,000 seems pretty low for what he was dropping a, a bunch of f bombs on this guy and then he hits his and then he hits literally the chair umpire's chair. So we will we'll see how the tennis world reacts to this. I think Nick Kyrgios got a bigger fine cuz he's been doing this and it kind of piled up, but still Alexander Sverev's uh behavior doesn't dismiss anything about what he did. Uh it was totally uncalled for. Uh I know tensions are high in tennis a lot, but you you just can't do that. And honestly, it was quite embarrassing for the sport of tennis to have one of their top players disrespecting an umpire and disrespecting the sport like Alexander Sverev did in Acapulco. I do want to talk about the Santiago tournament just a touch before I get to pretty much one of the most important topics of this podcast. Uh, Pedro Martinez wins the Santiago tournament. It was a, a little easier of a tournament, not as big of names and not as good as people were in this. He's 24-year-old, ranked number 50 in the world from Spain. And uh, that's pretty much all you need to know about this tournament, it is actually the biggest win of his career. All right, we got to move on to a world matter, an important matter. And I'm just going to touch on this because I don't want to get political and I don't really want to get too far into this as I don't know exactly uh, all the details of what's going on around the world. But the Russian invasion into Ukraine has caused a stir in the tennis community a little bit. Uh, it actually has... Um, Less than 24 hours into the invasion, uh, the ATP Challenger Tour grabbed a tournament out of uh, Moscow that was supposed to take place. So it's already affecting tennis when they invaded Ukraine. But the biggest thing is the tennis world has pretty much come out in solidarity a little bit uh, for Ukraine. Uh, Andrei Rublev wrote on the camera lens in Dubai, said, no war, please. I believe Daniel Medvedev said he wanted peace. He doesn't like war. So some Russian athletes are coming out for it. And some of the Ukrainian athletes and others around the world are coming out with a letter. Now, this is the letter from Alina Svitolina, uh, but th this carries the same tone as a lot of other letters that I've seen on social media. And I read this verbatim, quote, Dear all, I believe the current situation requires a clear position from our organizations, ATP, WTA, and ITF. 
As such, we Ukrainian players request the ATP, WTA, and ITF to follow the recommendations of the IOC to accept Russian or Belarusian nationals only as neutral athletes without displaying any national symbols, colors, flags, or anthems. Accordingly, I want to announce that I will not play tomorrow in Monterrey nor any other match against Russian or Belarusian tennis players until our organizations take this necessary decision. I do not blame any of the Russian athletes. They are not responsible for the invasion of our motherland. Moreover, I wish to pay tribute to all the players, especially Russians and Belarusians, who bravely stated their position against the war. Their support is essential. Alina Svitolina. Now, I do apologize that I don't know how to pronounce the word Belarusian or Belarusian. I think I said it both ways in that statement. But nevertheless, that's a statement. Now, I also saw other statements that were they want all these tournaments pulled out of Russia. Now, another one that came out uh, by Marta Kostyuk says, uh, we Ukrainian tennis players would like to express our great surprise and dissatisfaction with the lack of any response with the situation with our motherland. It is especially strange that in prior cases of social injustice and sexual harassment, the response of WTA was prompt, appropriate, and bold. Our country, Ukraine, is under brutal attack by superior nuclear power. Now, it goes on to say... Uh, we also believe that we have to follow the guidance of IOC, which prohibits Russian national team to wear uh, any of their symbol or any of their symbols, all that stuff. So uh, they are saying we demand that WTA immediately condemn Russian government, pull all tournaments out of Russia, and approach ITF to do the same. Um, so yeah, there there's a big response from the tennis world when it goes to what's happening overseas in Russia and Ukraine right now, and I think it's unanimous that. A lot of people are very frustrated by it. They don't necessarily blame the athletes, but they think they should do something to the, you know, they should condemn condemn what's going on at, at a public level and do something about tournaments there, kind of like they did in China, how they pulled some tournaments out of there because of what was happening with Peng Shai. So uh, a lot going on, a lot to think about, um, and that's kind of just the response, the early response. It's only really been a week from you know, from players and the lack of response, I guess, from the ATP and the WTA and the ITF. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on this. I'll keep you updated every week with this because this is going to be ever-changing, but uh, definitely something to keep an eye on and just another way that sport uh, demands change and respects change and really is at the forefront of, you know, economies and change. Um, you know, you pull tournaments out of there, you pull, you pull, money, out of, you pull money out of Russia. Like, they pulled money out of China. So something to keep an eye on, something I'll keep an eye on, and we'll update you here next week. Uh, I won't take any more of your time today. I appreciate you listening. We'll get more into it next week. But uh, what a week in tennis. A lot happened on the court, off the court, uh, and it's only going to get more and more busy from, from here on out. So appreciate you listening. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. And enjoy your week. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. 
Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.